20 years ago, physicians were encouraged to go to great lengths to manage patients' pain. And in many cases, opioids became the treatment of choice. Now, as the harms associated with opioid overuse and dependence have become clear, some doctors are concerned that the pendulum has swung too far in the opposite direction and that effective medicines are being withheld from patients who would benefit from them. I'm Stephen Morrissey, Managing Editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, and I'm talking with Susan Glaude, an assistant professor at Penn State Hershey Medical Center. Dr. Glaude has written a perspective article about treating pain in a patient with a history of substance abuse. Dr. Glaude, in your essay, you tell the story of a former cocaine user who now requires high-dose opioids to treat pain from metastatic cancer. How should physicians consider past substance use in patients in his position? Should it affect their treatment decisions? You know, Steve, I think that's such a challenging question because none of us really want to be the person who contributes to putting someone with a past history of substance misuse back down that road. However, the issue is that people with a history of substance misuse are not immune from pain. And so I think that a person with that type of history is entitled to a comprehensive pain assessment, just like every other patient. I think it's always appropriate to look for alternative ways of managing their pain. And I think if the end-all, be-all decision is that that person's pain might be responsive to opioids and we may not have any other alternative therapies for them, then I think an in-depth discussion with that patient about the pros and cons of opioid therapy is probably appropriate. So your patient had a rapidly spreading tumor and you knew that he was nearing the end of his life. How should a patient's diagnosis and prognosis affect decisions about opioid prescribing? Would your treatment plan have been different if the disease were in an early stage? I think we get into a little bit of a dangerous area when we base treatment decisions purely on a broad systemic diagnosis or even a prognosis. I think that a systemic diagnosis in and of itself is not sufficient evidence to either support or discourage the use of an opioid analgesic to treat the associated pain. So, for example, many current guidelines and strategies for opioid prescribing will exclude patients with advanced cancer. The CDC guidelines for managing chronic pain that came out last year and the CMS opioid misuse strategy that was released earlier this year were released with some qualifying statements that individuals with advanced cancer would be excluded from these guidelines. But the truth is that there are many individuals out there with advanced cancer who do not have significant pain or they have pain that's best managed using an alternative agent or a different strategy. For example, pain related to bony metastatic disease, which is often much more responsive to anti-inflammatories and radiation therapy. But likewise, there are many individuals out there who have life-limiting diagnoses other than malignancy who do have substantial pain or dyspnea that might be responsive to opioids. And so just using a diagnosis or a group of diagnoses such as advanced malignancy is not going to capture all of those individuals who require opioids. I think an additional challenge in all of this is that even if we agree that there are certain populations of patients who should be excluded from any prescribing limitations, we as the medical community have difficulty agreeing on how to define those populations. For example, the CDC guidelines for opioid prescribing in chronic pain exclude individuals who have chronic pain outside of what the CDC calls palliative and end-of-life care. And the CDC uses the IOM definition of palliative care, which is care that provides relief from pain and other symptoms, supports quality of life, and is focused on patients with serious advanced illness. But the CMS opioid misuse strategy, which references the CDC guidelines in the body of the text, uses different terminology. And so CMS excludes 
quote-unquote cancer and hospice patients. The problem is that cancer and hospice patients and patients receiving palliative or end-of-life care are two entirely different populations of patients. And so there are many patients out there receiving palliative care who are actively engaged in potentially curative therapies for their life-limiting illnesses. While there are those patients who are enrolled in hospice programs who have really made the decision to focus all of their care on maximizing their comfort and their quality of life. And so from my perspective as a as a palliative medicine physician, this really leads to a lot of questions about what do we do with those folks who have very serious illness but they're pursuing disease-modifying therapy? Do we sort of hold ourselves to a different bar just because a person is not enrolled in hospice? Do these individuals deserve a different level of access to pain control? And I guess my real fear is that at the end of the day, is there a possibility that thinking about a patient's diagnosis and prognosis instead of having a clear pain assessment might actually end up with some individuals being forced to choose hospice, not because the hospice philosophy is in line with their goals of care, but because otherwise they wouldn't be able to obtain the opiates that they need. In another perspective article, Becker et al. described the problems involved in relying on abuse deterrent opioid formulations to prevent dependence and related deaths. What role do you think those medications should play in the response to the opioid crisis? When do you decide that they're appropriate to prescribe? I'm not opposed to abuse deterrent opioid formulations in principle, and I don't think anybody else is. But I think that if we as a medical community start getting the idea that the introduction of abuse deterrent opioid formulations are the answer to the opioid epidemic or that they will prevent all opioid-related deaths, then I think we're fooling ourselves. I think Becker does a great job of highlighting the fact that over-prescribing of opioids in and of itself is not the whole problem, but it's really a symptom of the system in which there are multiple drivers that ultimately result in inappropriate prescribing. And so using abuse deterrent opioid formulations may make these drugs less accessible to those individuals who wish to abuse them, at least until those individuals find a way around the formulations or until those individuals switch to a non-legal form of opioid such as heroin. But the authors do a great job of pointing out that these formulations would have no impact on other opioid-related deaths such as unintentional overdose. I think that the downside to all of these formulations are that they have the potential to make needed medication more expensive and less accessible to patients who are having opioid-responsive pain and who really do require these medications. What really worries me the most about all of this is that if the medical community, the public, and policymakers get too distracted by the promise of a solution to the opioid epidemic in the guise of a reformulation of known opioids, I'm worried that we're going to lose focus on addressing all of the underlying systemic issues that have really led to the epidemic in the first place, such as lack of access to alternative evidence-based means of controlling pain, a lack of mental health and social services to address other components of suffering besides physical pain, and the lack of providers who are trained in managing drug addiction and dependence. So given that, finally, how can physicians distinguish between so-called drug seekers and patients whose pain actually warrants high doses of opioids? Can physicians simultaneously be cautious and compassionate? I think that's so hard, and there's no easy answer for it. I think that all of us could probably look back on our careers and identify those patients who really had a suspicion for addiction behaviors or opioid misuse. But at the end of the day, 
it is our responsibility to provide the best possible care we can for every patient. And if that means referral to a provider who can help to better identify characteristics consistent with misuse and then to better treat that patient and also to help us identify any other mental health services or social services that they may require, that's probably the appropriate thing to do. And so in my own practice, what I've really tried to do is be vigilant for any indications that a patient may be misusing opioids, but I'm also really challenged by the idea that if I can identify a source of pain that I know to be opioid responsive, I'm challenged by the idea that I should not provide opioids to that patient. Thank you, Dr. Glud.